When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hi, everybody. Listen, literally minutes after the recording of today's podcast, Spurs announced that uh, Gian Piero Ventrone, Tottenham's fitness coach, affectionately known as the Marine, had passed away at the age of 62. He joined the club in November 2021 as part of Antonio Conte's backroom staff and was a hugely popular figure with the players and that staff. Uh, Son, of course, had a particularly close relationship with Ventroni and was seen celebrating with him after he scored his famous hat-trick in the 6-2 win over Leicester City. The love and thoughts of everyone here on The View from the Lane go out to Giampiero's family and friends. And uh, here's the podcast that we recorded literally minutes before we got this awful news. Hello and welcome everybody once again to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly. I'm joined today by The Athletic's Jack Pitbrook and Tim Spears. Um, Jack Pitbrook, of course, uh, extra spring in his step today, hat on the side of his head, um, because in case you missed it on BT Sport on Tuesday night, right slap bang in the middle of the presentation of a major Champions League match, um, Eintracht Frankfurt against Spurs, Here's presenter Jake Humphrey and his ringing endorsement of our very own uh, JPB. I mean, Jack, let's be honest, you're already a pretty famous guy, can hardly walk around most of our major cities without being um, inundated with backslappers and, and admirers. Um, new levels for you there, I think. Yeah, so I've had, so Jake Humphrey has read out some of my tweets before on his big iPad uh, while hosting, while hosting, hosting Champions League <laughs> games on BT Sport, but... For him to personally endorse my Twitter account, like my, my brain is swimming with dopamine. The dopamine rush of validation right now, Danny. This is the proudest moment of my entire life. I, I assume he, he actually yeah. does follow you, does he, Jack? Because that's not just a producer uh, saying, you know. I'm not sure he does, actually, Tim. Re- I, I've had Come two, on, uh, really? I, I remember checking this the other day when I unmuted him. Uh, and despite the endorsement, I am not one of the lucky 1,080 accounts who Jake Humphrey follows. But Jake, if you're listening, and, and it's a, only one button yeah. away. If I might refer to a catchphrase from a previous series of mine, come on, guy. <laughs> Tim, you see you see, by working on the view from the lane, you can see to what dizzy heights you can ascend. Well, yes, quite. I think my most, my most famous follower at the moment is, is Sadiq Khan. I, I think I can do better than that. Dear God in heaven, <laughs> is that it? No, there's, uh, there's Ian Wright. Get me echo share someone. Susie Perry, obviously. Um, Yeah, of course. Who 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 would your most famous follower be? Both of you. Oh, my my most famous or the one I'm most happy about? Chuck D at Public Enemy. Oh, amazing. Of course, as as Jack will tell you from previous episodes, we are we are close personal friends. I think my most famous follower is James Moore. Let's get on to the, to the the football. Now, I have to say, 
Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt against Spurs is a nil-nil draw. I don't think I've ever seen, and I mean this, a nil-nil draw cause so much comment on social media and beyond. Um, Spurs have become, for their own supporters, and that include people like yourselves who have to deal with them professionally, they've become a kind of... Uh, it, it is now a sort of battleground for various ideas, philosophies, um, even ways of looking at the game. Because um, it was nil-nil. I um, thought it was a pretty decent without being an amazing game. I thought both sides had chances. Spurs probably had the better of them. Eintracht probably had the best of them. Um, with the one that flew over the right-hand side of, uh, of, of the Spurs goal. Um, but let's just talk about about the, the game as a whole. First of all, if I might, Jack, if I might start with you. I don't. Oh, sorry. Who did the press conference? Were you at the press conference, Jack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. I, I was in Frankfurt from uh, from Monday morning until Wednesday evening. And look, it, now, look. I hate press conferences. I think they're, they're very difficult things to get much good material out. I don't envy you having to do them, both you and Tim. Um, but that said, that was a particularly prickly one, wasn't it? And was two, in, two, in two ways. One, I'm right about everything, and the rest of you don't think about football. And two, here's Matt Doherty. Watch me stick a sword through him. Yeah, so like I think about ninety to ninety-five percent of Antonio Conte press conferences are very boring. You know, it's quite predictable what he's going to say a lot of the time. He's quite repetitive in what he says. You know, I don't blame him for that. No, it's no, that's, that's the nature, nature of the thing. Yeah, he has. He's got to sit in front of a bunch of journalists for half an hour twice a week, and he he'd probably rather be working with the players or doing almost literally anything else. That said, every now and then there's a press conference where Conte wants to get something off his chest, and when he does, he's dynamite. And there hasn't really been one. I think the last one he did like this was his drive-by on Mikel Arteta after the uh, yeah. after Tottenham beat Arsenal at the end of last season. Um, but anyway, he that hasn't aged well, has it? <laughs> yeah, um, and. But it was a bit prickly on Monday evening, to say the least. And he was asked about, I think the question was something along the lines of, look, a lot of fans want to see Jed Spence now. When are we going to see Jed Spence instead of Emerson Royale? And Conte went into this rant. I don't think I need to read it out because it was on Monday and you've all read it by now. Yeah. But it was a, it wasn't so much, a, it wasn't so much a defence of of, Do, of Emerson, sorry, as it was a criticism of the, like a complete dismissal of the idea that he would play Spence or... Doherty instead of instead of Emerson. So much so that it kind of reminded me of it was like Conte's equivalent of the famous Ferguson user all fucking idiots rant. Mm-hmm. Like it was just Oh, it was a version then, of that. Don't worry yeah, about that. It, it was absolutely because then Conte was asked about um you know, a Tottenham defensive, which obviously, you know, the I think managers hate having they hate having their style of play criticized. And Conte went on this even bigger rant in which he he basically said, you know, some managers out there who are willing to concede a lot of goals, not me. Um, and finished with the finished with the brilliant line, I um, I won in England and I've won in my past, and I think I can teach football to many people. Yep. And I think by that, Danny, he probably means you. Uh, no, I, I I took it very personally, Jack, because there were times when the the rotation of things that he was saying was as though, and of course I'm not foolish enough to believe this is true, it was as though he'd been listening to this podcast a few hours earlier, and I literally in the order of which I said, this needs to be looked at, that's not correct, sorry Antonio, and I, I, I'm, and I pressured every one of those things, Tim will remember, with I hope I'm wrong, and I trust he's right, um, but he, he really has got the prickle now with people who dare to question him, um, and 
very quickly again. The, the, the issue with that is, of course, he is the person doing the professional job. He is the one coaching the players. He is the one, Tim, who sees them in training. But there's, there, there's the rub, isn't it? So is the master craftsman working in his workshop. Sooner or later, you have to hand the finished product over to the consumer, us, the supporters, and here's the problem for Antonio Conte. He can go on about all he's won in the past. He can go on about other people not knowing the game. But he then presents the team to us, and we can watch it play. I'm not Thomas Chippendale, but I know a good table from a bad table. What, what about what did you make, Tim, about what about you? I mean, because you've watched Matt, Matt Darty play brilliantly for Wolves for year after year after year. Unless I'm misinterpreting him, it's a second language for him. He said, if I pick Matt Darty, we will lose. Yeah. <laughs> I um I'd love to know what Matt thinks. He's he does have a tendency to frustrate managers and supporters as well. I've seen that during his career with how laid back he is. He's he's extremely laid back, like like you know he's he's horizontal. And I know it's it's been a frustration at club and international level. He might jog instead of sprint for a pass, or or he won't go and applaud the fans after full time. He's never really that that you know he's not really that type of person. Um, fans at Wolves would get frustrated with him for that. I think there's a perception that he doesn't care, maybe. Um, he doesn't court attention. But he, he, he clearly does care. You don't get you don't go from Bohemians to Spurs via Wolves with the international career to go with it if you don't care. And with the greatest respect to Doherty, you know, he's not messy. He's had to work very, very hard to where he gets mm. to. But because of this of this laid-back lay attitude, I don't, know, I don't know if Jack's seen it as well. The, 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 there, is, there is a lot of... I don't know, Nuno got frustrated with him as well. That he's just that he's just not as professional or doesn't care as much as others because of this very 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 laid back approach. Um, whether that's come into it, I don't know. But it's at a, at a time when Spurs need a right wing back for three games, and he's basically dismissing the two that he's got at the club. Um, it's 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 not a good sign, and I'd imagine it's a lot to do with pent up frustration from the summer. You know, we spoke about the Jed Spence signing a lot. He didn't get the player that he wanted, and, and now with Royale out for three games, it's um, it's going to be a big problem for him. Matt Doherty, unless we don't know something's gone really badly wrong in training, he hasn't done anything wrong on the pitch. He may have done some things that weren't great, but, you know, he hasn't done any worse than anybody else. The next big shock, I'll ask you about this, Tim, was if you'd given me the opportunity to place a large amount of money on it, I, I, would, I would have placed a huge amount of money on that he would have made some changes from the Arsenal game, regardless of the performance, because we're in this extraordinary run of fixtures. And yet, the same 11 are picked. Was that a follow-up to the press conference, the I Know Best press conference. Yeah, possibly. And also, I think, um, an element of of, trying to, of them trying to play themselves into, into form, you know, ahead of this extremely important run of fixtures. Um, also, I don't know I don't know when he's... When, when does he rest a few players? When is, when, is there a, when is there a decent game coming up over the next few weeks um, to, to, to weaken the team? You know, even looking at Everton at home has been a tricky game now. You know, they're banging form with the best defence in the Premier League. Also, I was looking at Chelsea's bench last night. Chelsea beat AC Milan. Mm-hmm. Chelsea's Chelsea's bench was had the likes of this isn't the full bench, but they had Jorginho, Pulisic, um, Zakaria, Ziyech, Conor Gallagher, Azpilicueta, Havertz, and Kukurea on the bench. They beat AC Milan three 0 They fielded a very strong first eleven. When you compare that with with Spurs's bench, I think it cost about one hundred and fifty pound, one hundred fifty million more. Lots more experience, lots more players who can easily slide to the first team. That bench is a real issue for me at the moment. Uh, uh, only two injuries, and we're down to this basically. So I don't, I don't think he feels like he's got he's got the players to rotate. Despite what he said before the window, when he said Skip, Doherty, and Pesuma would all be getting minutes, 
I'm, I'm, I'm not sure he quite believes that. And with with all these games coming up in a very quick space of time, it's not it's not do or die for Tottenham season, but it's going to have a massive bearing on where on where they end up. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear you about about the quality of the bench, but uh, we saw what happened. The other English teams um, were, you know, going quite happily about their business in the Champions League. Spurs were struggling, not struggling. It, that wasn't fair. That was a better performance than it was at Arsenal. They played more on the front foot and all the rest of it. To, to escape uh, with a draw was thought to be a good result. The, the, the Twitter response to it, as I said, it'd be, it was so barcode now. It's so black and white. It's so binary, um, Jack, that I genuinely, and I, I'm not making this up for the interest of entertainment, as I'm perfectly capable of doing, but I genuinely saw tweets that said that Benton Kerr was Spurs' best player and tweets that said that Benton Kerr was Spurs' worst player. I saw tweets that said that Hoiberg was Spurs' best player and others saying that he should have been taken off at half-time. What did you make of the performance overall? Did did any did anybody get more than six and a half out of ten? I thought the overall performance was fine, really. I thought it was probably quite a frustrating game from a Spurs perspective because they should have won. They were the better team. They had a few good chances and quite a few good openings, you know, more so than they did in the Arsenal game. Definitely true. Uh, I thought Hoiberg and Benton were both really good. I thought Richarlison and Son were both pretty poor. The ball kept bouncing off them. They couldn't control it. They, you know, again, as with Saturday, Spurs got the last pass wrong quite a lot. I actually think they had they had more good openings this time than, than last time. You know, there were the two Son crosses that Kane nearly turned in. There were lots of, you know, balls flashing across the box. I mean, and, and Son had a chance that in last season it would have just, it would have just, yeah, have just gone yeah, in, that one it? on 40 minutes, yeah. like classic Son would 100% have buried that one. Yeah. I believe he was, I believe there was an offside flag that didn't really get seen at the time. I still, but, I still um, would have liked to, to, to have given VAR the chance to make a judgment when it nestled in the net though, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, overall I'm not, you know, it probably wasn't great entertainment for the neutral or maybe even not for Spurs fans, but I wasn't disheartened by how they played. I thought they actually played okay. And on, on another day, they would have scored one. If they scored one, I thought they would have won 3-0. I didn't think Frankfurt were that good. What about, uh, very quickly, if I may, um, Tim, um, the sudden appearance of Brian Hill. Um, and I mean this in two ways. One minute, he, you think he's right at the back of the manager's mind. And of course, we have a couple of injuries. On he comes. But he was doing the very thing that we would all do. If you've got 10 minutes to impress, you run around like a maniac not necessarily showing yourself in the best light. Yeah, he uh, he looks like Messi, right? But I'm saying this purely in a haircut point of view. This well, hang ba- on. This ba- this he bouncy, hey, he bouncy looks like Messi hair. and he physically runs like Cruyff. He must be a brilliant, brilliant <laughs> player then, yeah? I um, I watched this game at 11pm last night, um, back in full. So to clue there's myself prep. up before, before the, before share, the there's podcast. Hey, there's a prepare for the podcast. Go on. I was, I, I was, I was, I was, dre- I was drifting off. You, you know, you, you, won't, you won't be surprised to hear. Um, and then the appearance of this, yeah, this young bouncy-haired lad, just it did perk me up actually. Um, and you're absolutely spot on. I, I agree with you, Danny. Um, his enthusiasm was boundless. I mean, he, he was okay. Lots, lots of some nice flashes and touches. Lots of enthusiasm. A sort of different angle, different mode of attack, um, but also ran into a lot of blind alleys. Kept the ball longer than he should have, um, and probably showed Conte. Probably showed why Conte doesn't doesn't trust him to play more often. To be honest. And Jack will know more from being in the press conferences, but it doesn't sound good. Re Lucas Mora for a little while. Um, Kulisevsky, what would you say, Jack? Another another week, possibly. Uh, let's wait and see what Conte says in the press conference today. Yeah. Um, I thought Gil was. I mean, look, I like how much he wants the ball, but I mean, ultimately, he still looks like a twelve-year-old. 
Like, there's no getting past that. And when he he's very enthusiastic, and he's he's not he's not untalented, but he keeps getting knocked off the ball by bigger yeah. players. The first kind of two or three times he got the ball, he just got brushed straight off it by Pellegrini, and he did that thing where he's on the grounds and he kind of wave his arms in the air, appealing for a free kick. But the, you know the game's moved twenty well, meters away by that professional point. Professional football, mate, get up, come on. Yeah. yeah, he can't do anything, I guess, about his actual size. And some people are small and immensely strong. Lionel Messi being an obvious example. Yeah. Well, or Modric, yeah. or Fabregas, yeah. or David Silva. Like all those guys are kind of five foot seven, but they people you know. bounce off them, don't they? They're they're, they're so physically strong and, and clever at what they do. Um, it, it it was a an unsatisfying um a few minutes from. But don't blame him; he's not getting a chance. Uh, in the end, I will finish the report on the game. We've got a lot of other things to talk about. Um, I have a thing called the Hoiberg line in my head. It's a bit like the Plimsoll line for ships. And it's this, if I notice Emil Hoiberg, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, if I notice Hoiberg playing, that means the Spurs aren't doing great. It's not a brilliant performance. He is always about 6.8 out of 10, isn't he? Sometimes better. I mean, I really like him. I think he's been Spurs' most consistent player this season, which illustrates how they're not in great form because of the Hoiberg line. If you notice Hoiberg, it means that the Spurs, the ship are slightly low in the water, that he is... The things he's doing are noticeable to you because the rest of it isn't working as well. When Spurs were playing brilliantly at the end of last season, he was still 6.8 uh, or 7 out of 10, but you didn't notice him because everybody else was getting 8s and 9s. Um, and it was another game where I thought, it's just my personal opinion, um, he was the best player in a Spurs shirt. And it, it just told me that they're still stretching. We, we, the evidence your own eyes. Stretching and searching for something, particularly going forward. Next thing we were going to talk about, in the running order, we prepare a running order, it's about um, my criticism, not criticism, that's not my analysis and dissection uh, by shouting at Jack's piece the other day about scientific approach to football. I have to say, uh, Jack wasn't here to defend himself, but it wasn't really an attack on him. I, I'm only saying all this because in the running order, it says Jack and Danny finally have it out over the team's style. I don't think the, the Arsenal supporting producer understands that Jack and Danny is pretty rude Cockney rhyming slang. And you should all say Danny and Jack, otherwise you're going to get in trouble with those who speak the London Argo. Look it up. Um, Jack, a chance for you to defend yourself, but though I don't really think I was attacking you at all. I was attacking the idea that football, I just don't understand. I don't believe that you can science your way to victory in football. It's, it's just too, there's too many variables, I suppose, is the word I'm looking for. I just don't think... I just completely disagree with that, ultimately. Yeah. I think that the... I think football has changed quite a lot in the last sort of 10 or 20 years, particularly at the elite level, where it changes more and more. It's now... You know, the best teams managed by the best managers are now more planned and more organised than they have ever been in everything that they do on the pitch. And that is that is evidenced by the consistency in results which these teams enjoy like the fact that you know Manchester City have got 90 plus points three years out of the last five Liverpool have done it three years out of the last four Conte has got incredible points totals uh, he's got 100 points at Juve 90 plus at Chelsea and at Inter and so I think that even though even though to you know that to many of us viewers who have watched football all of our lives it might look chaotic and random at the very, very elite level, it's more planned, more mechanised than it has ever been before. And that really is my 
interpretation of what Conte is trying to do at times. And 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 I, I wouldn't be temerarious enough to disagree with you about that. What there's not everything you said there is factually correct. Um, although I do think that the massive points total run up by teams like Manchester City is as much evidence of financial stratification as it is of increased scientific involvement with the game. Uh, and I take your point. Of course, they now have computerization. The players have GPS. All those things that we're all completely aware of. Um, but it can never be like American football, where you everybody starts um, from a standing still position and you try and break the other person's chess defense. The game is just too mobile and too multidimensional for that. You heard my rant, and I'm happy to take your opinion about it. And we'll see where this goes though, in in the future. As this podcast, award-winning and absolutely world-rogering, goes into its fifth and sixth and seventh decade, we'll all see uh, how the game develops. Because um, um, maybe maybe it will become so that you can actually train the players that they can do the repetitious movement over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to. Look, I'm not. I'm not saying that this will definitely work because it's not that simple. And I'm not. And I'm certainly not saying that you should subjectively enjoy watching this style of play because lots of people, you know, that's entirely the choice of every individual viewer. It's like saying you must enjoy smashing pumpkins. You know, it's down to you. What What I would say is that I felt like you were too dismissive of the idea that Conte was trying to plan out how Tottenham were going to attack, which is what he's done his whole coaching career. It's all about incredibly planned, mechanised movements and organ- uh, automatism. Auto- I sure. can't say the right word. Automatism. Robotic, yeah. Look, Google it yeah, and you'll yeah. get the correct yeah. answer. It's not that. Um, that is, I mean, that is really what Conte's trying to do. And I know that it's... I know that people would rather he, you know, play on the halfway line and push the fullbacks up and, you know, be a bit more handsy flick. But yeah. that isn't really who Conte sure. is. But sure. that... He, there is a bit of thinking behind what he's trying to do. And yet, since you came back there, but uh, and yet, Tim, we have arrived at a moment where a person who has played the game at international level, who is now paid to dissect the games, can turn, and a person who I don't think is any particular beef, um, and I know is a great fan of Spurs, uh, can on on international television can say, "I've played this system as well." At Stoke, Peter Crouch said those words. But it, but it's but it's, it's it's levels at the end of the day, and it, it, the the one thing that fr- frustrates me about about Conte and Spurs is I'm not sure that the the players he's got necessarily fit what he's trying to do, and and, and I know he keeps talking about transfer windows, and that's going to take time, but the, the the proof will be in the pudding at the end of the season, basically. But if 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 he can get Emerson Royal to cross the ball properly, then 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 you know I'll, I'll believe in everything he does. But he hasn't managed that yet. So uh, between you, Tim, and Antonio himself, Spurs have got no decent right fullbacks. Yeah, <laughs> maybe they need to get Carl Walker Peters back. I don't know. Uh, well, I definitely feel like I mean, look, I certainly feel that in the after there's felt like quite a lot of unanimity amongst Spurs fans, at least from my point of view recently. There does now seem to be a bit more of a of a divide on a sort of pro and anti Conte basis. Be interesting to hear what James thinks about this next time he's on, uh, and certainly j- just through talking to my own friends and on social media and everything, I've I've seen quite a lot of both kind of pro and anti Conte viewpoints um, uh, ossifying this week. 
Um, so yeah, it will be interesting to, to see how this. Yeah, one that, that's why I use words like binary at the top of the show because that's definitely happening. I don't think it's very healthy, and I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try and avoid it myself because um, we haven't time, and there's, there's so much to do. We can talk about this in another podcast. Um, I'm also acutely aware that one of the most critical things that people like us three have to do is to avoid bias confirmation, isn't it? Where you think something about yeah. a footballer or a manager or a football club. And you then all of your viewing of a football match, which is a complicated and, as I say, chaotic, sometimes chaotic thing, um, is used just as evidence to back up what you thought last week. Um, and so you, you get into this thing of, I can't stand um, the, the player X, call it Hoiberg. And so everything he does is wrong by definition. We need to avoid all of that. Uh, if I can have one more one more quick point mm-hmm. on this, and now th- th- this is just a theory of mine, so I'd be interested to, hit, to have it confirmed. But I think I definitely look. I, I feel like Tottenham fans have not reacted, have didn't enjoy what Conte said on Monday, and kind of understandably so because this was the first time we've really seen Conte criticise the fans in any way. Where he yeah. basically said, you know, keep your opinions to yourself. I'm the I'm the guy that picks. Or the a phrase it was a, and, it was like it or lump it, wasn't it? And nobody likes yeah, to hear that. And, in any, like, and I'm just like. hypothesising here, but I I suspect that the reason that Tottenham fans didn't really didn't like Conte saying that is that there's a bit of a fear that there's this kind of background feeling here that Conte feels that Tottenham are lucky to have yeah. him. And nobody likes nobody likes that. Like, that's not a healthy dynamic in any relationship. You're not speaking from personal that, uh, experience here, are you? No, no good. well, no, I hope good, not. Good. But um, I don't think that that's healthy. If that idea can kind of you know percolate too much out into the ether, absolutely. And because what at, at, at the thin, that's the thin end of a wedge that leads to somebody maybe Antonio Conte thinking um, this club isn't good enough for me. Um, and that won't wash with the fans of, of of Wigan or Forest Green Rovers or whoever. Um, you're, you're a great fan of Dulwich Hamlet, and uh, you don't want to hear people slagging off Dun- Dulwich Hamlet, do you? It's just not. It's not the no, way you feel no about fan, things. No fan wants. Or, what fans want is they want a manager who is fully emotionally invested in being successful with that team. They don't want a manager whose view is, oh uh, well, you know, wh- where else is it going to work for the next two years? It'll do for now. I heard him say exactly the same thing a couple of weeks ago and, and I sort of winced when he said it. Um, I think you only say that from a great position of strength, if at all, really. Um, mm. It's a pretty unedifying comment. I'm not sure what, what good comes from it. It sounded very arrogant, unnecessary as well. He certainly wasn't prodded on it. He just kind of came out with it. So I feel like it's something that's that's at the surface. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not something that any fan wants to hear. And if they do, it's after you've won the league title or, or a trophy. You know, not, not where Spurs are right now. I'm not going to fall out with him, but I don't. I do, just watch those press conferences, my friend. Let's have a quick break. When we come back, we need to talk about um, the game that's coming up against the fantastically informed uh, Brighton side. And a piece that Tim wrote uh, during the week that we didn't get a chance to discuss on Monday um, about the abuse that the players' families have been getting at other football grounds. You're listening to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. Tim Spears and Jack Pitbrook are on the firm today. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
If you're into your tactics and football analytics and you're looking for a deeper understanding of the game, you can join me, Ali Maxwell, along with Michael Cox and the rest of the Athletics data team for our Football Tactics podcast. Find new episodes every week on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. Welcome back, everybody, to The View from the Lane. Uh, Tim Spears, Jack Pitbrook and myself, Danny Kelly. Um, very quickly, uh, obviously, the, the TV companies have got massive 24-hour schedules to fill now with sports. So I've taken to watching new sports to see if I might enjoy them. Um, and uh, recently I've watched Paddle. I don't know if you've seen Paddle, anybody. It's like tennis, but played inside a squash court. It's a combination of squash and tennis, played usually by doubles teams. Um, it looked all right. I tried to get into it, see what, what it was about. And then turned on the television the other day to another one of the, of the uh, satellite channels and saw Tech Ball. Um, and tech ball is a, a combination of football and table tennis. Um, you've got a table tennis table with slightly sloping sides, and people get three touches, so there's a volleyball element to it too, to get the ball back onto the table with a full-size football. And I was watching this and thinking, God, this is a stretch, isn't it? This is something Adam Partridge might have invented, um, you know, lying on the, on the bed in the, hotel, in the motel room. Um, and, then, and then suddenly, as if it, that wasn't a surreal enough image, on walks Ronaldinho, not a person who looked like Ronaldinho or a person in a Ronaldinho shirt. Actual Ronaldinho was playing tech ball. God knows how much they paid him to fly from uh, South America to play tech ball. But there he was. So, of course, he was very good at it because it involves a brilliant first touch, a second touch to get the ball out of your out of your feet. So it mustn't touch the ground. And then a third touch with the shoulder, the knee, the instep, all the head that gets it back onto the table. Um, do you think anybody at Spurs would make a good tech ball player these days, Tim? Uh, Matt Doherty apparently is 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 great. Yeah, well, he's he, no he, good he, at football, he, actual football, <laughs> so you know. <laughs> well, what, what time? What time of night with this, Danny? And and can I ask what channel it's on? Can we say that? Oh yeah, sure. I think it was on um, Eurosport. Almost inevitably, you could say, yeah. Yeah, it it, it sounds very trans world sport to me. Yeah, it, 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 there's a lot of it on because there's some kind of championship going on at the moment. Um, obviously, the skill of the people involved um, was well, it, it is to be admired, I suppose. Um, but they were taking it very seriously, and the referee wore a bow tie. Most sports where the referee is forced to wear formal dress, I am slightly suspicious of. Um, but it was Ronaldinho, and that was a real thrill. It caused me, again, like you, Tim, talking about watching the game. It was the middle of the night, and I was watching this, and it caused me to, to when, when Ronaldinho, the, the cup of tea out to my lips, came down very slowly. I to, if my old eyes deceived me, that is Ronaldinho, and there he was. Tim, you wrote a piece uh, we didn't get a chance to discuss on Monday about the players' families and their enjoyment of professional football. Give people, just t- tell us the thrust of what you wrote. So this was off the back of um, Eric Dyer's comments at the start of the international break. Basically, obviously, people will remember, you know, the, the, the Norwich game from a couple of years ago when he, when he leapfrogs into the stands. But um, he was basically saying um, away ends are not a nice place to be for his family. And he said, I think he said his mum has never been in the away end. And he said uh, the sort of atmosphere or the feeling or abuse at football games has got a lot worse, in his opinion, since the pandemic, which is something I've heard quite a lot of people say. And is backed up by arrest figures, which have sort of, um, which de- which from 2010 to 19 sort of halved. Arrest figures went down pretty much every year, and now they've gone back up to like 2012, 13 levels. I think they've jumped up like 50. percent So uh, it, people may may or may not have noticed that. I think um, obviously the scenes at Euro Euro 2020. 
fans are sort of off the leash again, maybe after the pandemic. But the the point that Dyer was was making was that away ends are, are not a nice place to be. I don't feel like he's the kind of guy to make a melodramatic comment or make a comment without having really thought about it first. Um, but he says he says it's not nice, and his family wouldn't go to an away game these days. So I thought it was an issue issue worth exploring, particularly after Jordan Henderson sort of backed him up and said the same thing and said, look. I, I, my family aren't planning on going to the World Cup. You know, they had a horrendous time at Euro 2020, a horrendous time at the Champions League final in Paris. Um, I, I don't like to bring this to light, but but da- Danny Murphy went on national radio and basically said, oh, they should just suck it up, which I think angered a lot of people as well. Um, so I, I spoke to quite a few players. Why should why should they um, suck it up? His, his comment was... Um, his mom suffered a few problems at, at matches, so so she just didn't go again. And 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 yeah, just ju- just get on with it. That's football. You got you've got to expect some swearing and some abuse. So get on with it. Was was basically the gist of what he said. Um. So I spoke to a few relatives, you know, dads, brothers, etc. Um. And yeah, the, the general consensus was certainly away ends are not a nice place to be for for wives, for children, for grandparents. Um, not so much in the players' families being being abused, um, but just it's just the general environment. And pe- people may not know that families do go in the away end because that's their that's where the complimentary tickets are. There, there's no neutral zone for them to go to. So um, the problem is, Tim. Whenever we discuss these things, and I made your piece 100 percent correct, you'll get accused. And particularly by older fans of trying to gentrify the game even further to sanitize it to make it antiseptic, yeah. but I, I, no, that's not the yeah. worst thing in the world, is it? No, I know what you mean, but but the people I spoke to weren't sort of calling for that. They weren't like, we don't want to change the culture of football. You know, we just want somewhere nice to sit to watch our, our sons, basically, or, or 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 our brothers or whatever. Because you know, you imagine a situation, Danny, where you you know the sacrifices that families make. To, to make these dreams happen for their loved ones. You know, parents will ferry them all around the country from A's, from A's Day onwards. And, 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 you know, the expense that goes with that for years and years and years on end. And then they, they finally sort of make it to the big time and the player's mom or grand, or grandmother or maybe even daughter or whatever will feel that they can't go and watch them for a big away game. And I know people listening to this might not care and might just say, "Look, why don't they pay for a box?" Which is, which is, you know, obviously not not a feasible situation or an affordable situation. But I think I just feel like there should be somewhere for them to sit, basically, at an away game, a neutral zone near the scouts or something like that. Because if if I spoke to several parents who said they just wouldn't take their children to, to an away match, and I think that's that's a pretty sad situation. And also, Danny, it deprives. 60 away fans of tickets because these are 60 complimentary tickets mm-hmm. that go to players to players families and they sit in a block in the away end you know and th- th- there are 60 fans who, who could be going there um so it just seems like a bit of a silly situation that has an easy easy solution to me i thought it was a, a situation you know worth um highlighting absolutely and i'm sure people really are great interest in, in the athletic um of course i always Initially, when I didn't understand what was going on, I was there the day Eric Dyer climbed into the stand. Um, I was very excited. I thought he was gone to look to see where Sergio Ramos had landed from his tackle in Madrid <laughs> a few years earlier. Um, we're going to look for the crater site of the landing of Sergio Ramos. Um, look, it's going to sound weird if I don't say something. Uh, Jack has just looked at his phone as something um, important breaking about Spurs, and he's gone off to investigate it. We'll finish this podcast with just the two of us. Um, I think it'll probably improve your overall quality, don't you, Tim? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't, yeah. couldn't agree more. Yeah. This is it. Yeah, this, is, this, this is the proper podcast right here. Me and you, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, 
a, a poor performance at Arsenal, um, an acceptable um, performance and result in the Ruhr. Um, goodness, imagine if uh, Eintracht had got a late goal, what what conversation would have been like? But they didn't. Um, and the manager can turn to me and say that was a good point away from home. And of course, I know all away results are good results if you, you know, other than defeats. Um, suppose I have another difficult away game um, on on the horizon. Uh, I'll very quickly, if I may, Tim, if you'll indulge me, the transformation in Brighton Football Club over a period of time is really, I mean, quite extraordinary. Um, I'll give you the example. Um, 20 odd years ago, perhaps 22 years ago, um, I was doing a bit of business with the Bloom family. And um, Tony's dad was, um, we were doing a bit of business together. And I was invited down to Brighton to see them attempt to get out of, I can't remember, it was the third or fourth level of English football. I think they were playing Macclesfield on the last day of the season. They needed a win to get promoted. They were playing at the old Withdean. And the Withdean was the most horrible place I've ever watched professional football. A long walk through a park to get to a kind of running track around which had been built scaffolding stands. Bobby Zamora, if my memory doesn't, and please forgive me because, you know, I do sometimes conflate things. Bobby Zamora, to the surprise of Spurs fans, I suppose, later on, scored a hat-trick. They won the game and they went up. The celebration was held in a porter cabin, a large prefabricated hut at the side of the pitch where the frankly warm white wine was handed out. That club is now one of the most forward-looking, interestingly run and stylistically progressive clubs in the Premier League. And I know it's that you know a lot can happen in 20 years, but believe me, a lot has happened at Brighton in 20 years. And Spurs can go there and expect to be out-footballed. It's, it's a difficult fixture, this, isn't it? Yeah, really difficult. You, you mentioned the the Widdeen, mm. possibly the worst place to watch football. I, I would say their stadium, as an away fan and also as a journalist, is one of the best oh. to go to now. I love it. I love it Brilliantly as a fan. connected, went, all that stuff, I, I, yeah. I don't know if they still do it, but but um, when I went there about 10 years ago, um, they brought in like a local a local ale. You know, I, th- I, th- I think they, I think they brought in Banks's um, for people to drink in the away end, which is just a, a lovely, completely unnecessary but lovely touch. Um, they're so they're so friendly, and yeah, um, from a media point of view, it's a dream to go. I'm very je- as Jack, Jack's covering this game because I'm busy um, at a gig in Birmingham. So I'm I'm jealous of him getting to go. Um, you're right; they're the standard bearers for for in so many ways. You know, in terms of recruitment, style, finances, culturally as well. It's a lovely place to go. Um, showing a, showing a bit like Brentford that um, all this uh, data mining in the background, if uh, allied to all the good things you just spoke about and Banks's ales, uh, can produce you know football teams greater than a club of their size might be perhaps entitled to expect. Yeah, no, you, you're absolutely right. And then in, in terms of the game, it's going to be a very, very difficult one. Um, we don't know fully what to expect from Deserbi's Brighton yet, but obviously we've got a, a small flavour at Liverpool. Albeit, I think they'd only had you know half a day's training before that game, so you know we shouldn't look into it. It was carry on Brighton, really, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So, but I think we'll see a slightly more exaggerated version, perhaps, um, of Graham Potter's Brighton. And um, I think one thing that Andy Naylor, our Brighton correspondent, pointed out was um, they won the ball back fourteen times, I think, at Anfield, which was more than they'd done in any other game this season. So they're going to be a bit more, bit more snappy, a bit more pressing. Um, yeah. 
What does Conte do? There's so there's so much so much clamour for 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 three five two. I'm seeing it everywhere. Um, as, as soon as I turn on Twitter, it's it's there three five two. I do feel like it's the ideal game to go with it. To be honest, I feel like Trossard, Pascal Gross, McAllister, you can easily get overrun there, and I'd be concerned about Spurs getting overrun there. Um, there's an obvious narrative bringing Busuma back in, but he, obviously he knows the opposition players better than anybody. I feel like it's the ideal game to play him. Um, Spurs need to exert a bit of control. It's not ideal playing Son up front with on his own, perhaps with Kane behind in terms of things like passing and linking play and pressing. But you know, there's got to be a sacrifice made here. Um, if they continue in, in in the formation and the eleven that they are, then there are obvious weaknesses there. So he's got to change something. That's what I'd do, Danny. But um, but Conte knows better than me. So um, well, he'd be the first to tell you that. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? Um, for let, let's assume he doesn't change it. Um, Perisic right back and Sessegnon left. I would have thought so. I think I think that's um, that's the safest bet. Just just going on what he said the other day. Um, what was the game where we saw that Leicester? Um, I think Perisic lasted about an hour. Just didn't quite look comfortable with it, with his body positions on the right. Um, I think of the many hundreds of games he's played in his career. It's fewer than fifty that he's played on that flank. Um, not a natural position for him. However. You know, if there's nowhere else, there's nowhere else to play there. Um, if you're judging on what Conte said, we're certainly not going to see Jed Spence. We're not going to, it doesn't sound like we're going to see Matt Doherty. Lucas Moura was tried pre-season; he's injured. Kuliszewski could play there; he's injured. Um, my big, my, I'd say my biggest concern, Danny, in this game is that I, I accidentally read this morning, and I wish I hadn't, that Danny Welbeck has not scored yet this season, um, despite having a host of chances and playing very well by all yeah, accounts. Yeah, he, he really is playing, um, but he's playing better when he's back to the goal than he is facing it so far this season, yeah. Yeah, and um, De Zerbi's got a good record of, of getting goals from his strikers. Um, if I was a Spurs fan... Then, then that that would be my automatic biggest concern is that, that Danny Welbeck's obviously going to score on Saturday. Well, let's let's, let's finish on a more optimistic note. Of course, uh, yes. Spurs. You know, if you draw a line from the Arsenal performance, that was a definite uptick uh, in in Frankfurt. If they can replicate uh, that much improvement again against Brighton, they have players up front particularly um, who can do damage, um, even to Brighton's excellent defensive record. Um, it should be a belting game, and it it would really transform um, some of these these arguments and these discussions we've been having. If Spurs went to Brighton and won, I know it's like it's not like going to, you know to the San Siro or something, but if you go to Brighton and win, um, we could have a very very happy podcast on Monday. Let's see if that happens. Thank you uh, for all your efforts, and thank you to Jack for putting in an you know, appearance and popping in a little earlier on. Thank you all for listening as well. Um, and let me remind you that if you're not already an Athletic subscriber um, remember that you can sign up to read all the brilliant Spurs coverage and there is a ton of it never mind all the other stuff and which there is just uh, a range of mountains of stuff but the Spurs stuff is deep and intense and brilliant I think just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just one measly pound for six months sorry it's a pound a month for six months. It's not 20 pence a month. Why would we bother? Let's be honest. Um, so that's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thank you all for listening. Back on Monday. Come on, you Spurs. The Athletic.